1: I'm Michael Leader. I'm David Jenkins.
2: I'm Hannah Strong.
1: And today we'll be talking about the diesel powered action sequel, Fast and Furious Nine, something much more slow and subtle with the drama Supernova. And in Film Club, we're going alt country with Robert Altman's classic Nashville. All coming up in Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Yes, hello listeners and welcome back. The core team almost of uh, Truth and Movies, the regulars so far, the family <laughs> of Truth and Movies, David and Hannah. Hannah, how are things going? I know we've spoken a lot about your trip to see 2001, but we've been to the cinema much more since then. You,
2: you can't <laughs> get me out of the cinema at the moment. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, I think I have six screenings this week and then uh, three next week. Like, how? How is that possible? That's so much cinema. I love it. I love it. And that's not me kind of bitching about my job, but it is. It's a lot. Um, of course, I think that because of Can coming up, there've been a lot of um, kind of pre-screenings, and then there's some biggie uh, blockbusters on the way. So yeah, I've I've spent a lot of time in uh, dark rooms the past sort of um, week or so. But you know, the weather's been awful, so it's actually been quite nice
1: mm-hmm dare i ask about how can's looking is it all sorted now
2: yeah kind of to my surprise um i'm pretty much all good to go i'm gonna be the sole representative for little well eyes this year which is quite scary i don't think we've done that in quite a while actually just had one little person go off on their own um but it's yeah i'm all vaxxed up i've got my pcr tests on the way um got my little airbnb crew so yeah it's all it doesn't really feel like it will be official until i'm actually stood to kind of in the palais but um it's surprisingly i think against all odds uh, it is actually going to happen so yeah
1: well fingers crossed and we can't wait to hear what you make of all of those films you'll be seeing out there some really um you know really compelling films out there in the in all the selections i must say um david how are things going in jenkins land at the moment
0: yeah, pretty good. I'm I'm sort of suddenly getting very jealous of Hannah going to Cairn. Uh, Where I think when the lineup was announced with a lot of my personal faves in town, I was a bit like, oh, I want to go." Uh, I'd kind of like written it off to be honest. <laughs> so more, that's my my <laughs> fault. So, uh, but you know, I'll, I'll have the excitement of uh, of catching up thing catching up with things later. And I'll, I'll I've got plenty to be getting on with with the next issue of the magazine. Um, Current issue of First Cow is still uh, out there and available at all good newsagents and uh, art shops and galleries and uh, WH Smiths. So you know, t- do 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 pick that one up in the interim while we're sort of beavering away on the on the next one.
1: <laughs> David, I can't believe you're, you're saying that. There's you're not excited because this week we're talking about Vin Diesel and the crew back once again yeah. on our biggest screens
0: imaginable in fast and furious oh, nine we should tackle this shouldn't we sh- shouldn't we talk about shouldn't it be called this week in in uh in homage to 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 fast and furious like truth and movies <laughs> wow
2: that was that was incredible i was not <laughs> expecting that at all
1: where did that come from well <laughs> gosh there's no way we can top that we should just get on with the show and start off with uh, fast and furious nine Okay, so for anyone following the plot of the Fast and Furious saga, yes, there is a plot. Let's have a bit of recap for Fast and Furious 9. No matter how fast you are, no one outruns their past. In this ninth chapter in the saga, Vin Diesel's Dom Toretto is leading a quiet life off the grid with Letty and his son, little Brian. But they know that danger always lurks just over the peaceful horizon. This time, that threat will force Dom to confront the sins of his past if he's going to save those he loves most. His crew joins together once again to stop a world-shattering plot led by the most skilled assassin and high-performance driver they've ever encountered, a man who also happens to be Dom's forsaken brother, Jacob. So one of the taglines for Fast and Furious 9 was, Han is back. And so in True Truth and Movies fashion, Han is back. Hannah, please let us know. (laughs) Bring us up to speed with Fast and Furious. Uh, what's the appeal of the franchise, and why should why should we be excited?
2: Um, so, where do I start, really? You know, th- this is a, a a franchise that's been going for twenty years now. You know, it's got kind of more longevity than the Marvel um, outlay. It's it really is like a kind of phenomenon. I think when it started, it was just you know one of those like oh yeah you know Vin Diesel car stunts like no one really thought much of it but it has become this global juggernaut that just seems to like it, it I mean critically it can definitely do do wrong but like in terms of box office returns it it is just every film it's like a license to print money um but for me it's interesting because I've done a real um 180 on the Fast and Furious films. As a student, I believe I've mentioned before on this podcast that I used to work in a cinema, um, a multiplex. And the Fast and Furious films were the sort of the bane of my life because every time one came out, you just knew that it was going to be about six weeks of sold-out screenings. And not only sold-out screenings, but just, like, the worst kind of customer. So, you know, they would buy, like, their big, like, triple XL coke and popcorn and inevitably it would get like strewn across the cinema and it was just it just really like got to us it really was you know it it was a drain on morale having to clean up these big screenings so i had a real kind of like deep bone to pick <laughs> with vin diesel and his uh, his films and for a long time like kind of put off watching them i think it was around the time that um fast seven came out so the one after paul walker had passed away and um i remember like it that one did that ran for like two months of sold out screen that was it really you couldn't get away from it and it did make an insane amount of money i think it was about 700 million or something at the box office um and i remember for weeks like going in to clean these screens and having that charlie perth like See you again. Song like just on a loop. Like I think I know all the words purely from being stuck in cinema screens, listening to it whilst I was picking up people's popcorn and discarded hot dogs. All this to say that I really didn't like these films because of my kind of embedded trauma. But when I actually decided, you know, I think it was when I moved to London and made some film friends who were very kind of ardent in their like admiration for this franchise. I thought, okay, I'll give it a chance. And yeah, it, it slaps. What can I say? It's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's the tale of one man and his family, both by blood and by choice and their global adventures, which involve initially it's kind of they're like a crime ring, but then it slowly evolves into kind of their working with the government to like take down <laughs> giant terrorists. It just is the most like preposterous like watching a small child play with their Hot Wheels and kind of like tell you this like ridiculous story, this narrative they thought of. But it's very much like that experience. It's so earnest. You just, I just can't really resent it. I can't, it's not like a Marvel film or, you know, a kind of something where you can see every cog turning, every cynical cog that's going to lead to another like, you know, Trip down the 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 money lane for Kevin Feige or whoever. There's just something so pure about the idea of Vin Diesel just wanting to like have this like Christ-like figure who's too pure for this world. Dominic Toretto and his kind of his disciples. And I could carry on the metaphor, but I won't for the <laughs> sake of the sake of timing. Um, and yeah, I just I think it is a real kind of. Um, shining example of like what I wish if we're going to have big franchises I wish they would kind of be as like fun and not take themselves seriously as the Fast and Furious films do
1: oh we could have a whole podcast on how seriously or not so seriously certain members of the Fast and Furious franchise take it I definitely, <laughs> Vin Diesel believes every every minute of it Particularly in this one, I feel he's pushed the comic relief and the self awareness almost you know, on the other side of the planet, uh, as far well, away from his his plot as it can be. No, but, but it
2: is still in there because I think like Vin Diesel's ego is tempered by people like Ludacris and Tyrese Gibson and Justin Lin, who was obviously returned mm-hmm. to the franchise after quite a long time away. And I think that it's good that it doesn't become too self aware. You don't want a like quippy Deadpool esque like mm. you know thing going on, which were after about half an hour you're like, I hate this. This is just so like self indulgent. And you can see the smarmy like, oh, aren't we clever? You don't get that fast of <laughs> like you say yeah. You say, Hannah,
1: about the 180 degree turn that you know, many people went on with this franchise. It started out as almost a bit, a bit schlocky, a bit of an exploitation era throwback to begin <laughs> with. Uh, then Justin Lin turns it into this sort of ma- you know, big over the top franchise, Tokyo Drift onwards. Fast five. What if there was a heist, but it was also a car chase <laughs> through Rio? Um, I've been in a bit of a spin with the franchise, really, I think. It, I, it, I go very hot and cold on it, and but David, after last week where you went had a passionate defence of post-narrative cinema, uh, particularly the work of Paul W S Anderson. What do you make of Fast and Furious, which I, I think almost plays in a similar ballpark?
0: Mm, not really. I don't know. I think I think there is there's definitely attempts to sort of have some kind of uh, m- you know mainstream appeal, and which which it obviously succeeds at. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know whether there is sort of you know Lin that that is is a is a as a potential discussion point. Really, um, I don't know. My my, I, I you know maybe maybe it makes for a bit more fun listening, but I I just I can't get down with the the uh, the, the the Fast and Furious franchise. <laughs> uh i i'm sort of like i've seen a couple of i've only ever seen them under duress like i've never seen one (laughs) i've never watched one through through pleasure so you know that it's all in fact i think the only ones i've seen are the ones that i've seen for this podcast so um you know i do have a big kind of fast and furious hole in my uh viewing viewing so uh but I'm, i'm not convinced that you know watching Tokyo drift is suddenly going to make all this suddenly make sense. So um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I found this new one to be like very sort of like as expected, lots of, lots of silliness, lots of, uh, lots of stunts that make no sense, uh, you know, stuff, stuff. There's a, c- there's a scene, which I think we can talk about because it's in the trailer where um, R- Michelle Rodriguez character is kind of gets flung off her little dirt bike and um uh Vin Diesel's character like catches her on the bonnet of his car the suggestion being that the bonnet of his car is some kind of like (laughs) duvet like mattress whereas like if you would have hit the floor you know it would have been curtains and she just kind of gets up and jumps in the car and it is like there is there is a sort of like reject I mean there is like a very full-scale rejection of like the of lots of lots of very kind of basic laws uh, and, and, you know, I, th- I think maybe another debate is like how, how far, how, you know, is that there's a, there's a small line between, you know, clever and stupid and, uh, and I, I, I can't quite, yeah, I, I find it hard to tell. Um, I think one of the th- sticking points for me is that, uh, is probably Vin Diesel himself, um, who I just find to be like, he's like a kind of black hole where charisma goes to die. I mean, he, he, he's just like, there's just something missing there. Um, Every time he comes on the screen and does one of his little kind of um, sort of sub Confucius dotted monologues with little, with little kind of wisdom bombs in there. And, you know, all these little kind of uh, things about family and blah, blah, blah. It, it just, it just, it just makes me want to crumple up and and, and cry really. And there are, <laughs> there, there are a lot of them in these films uh, in this, in this film in particular. Um, uh, a lot of the humor didn't hit as well. There was, there, there were, I think there were some like jokes in inverted commas that just sort of like were very kind of grown worthy. Again, I, 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 guess that's what they're meant to be, but you know, I just didn't have get any pleasure out of that. And I mean, I think the the one thing I would say is that, like, I think a lot of people say someone like Christopher Nolan, there's this constant refrain of, like, oh, Christopher Nolan should do a should do a Bond film. And I think, no, Christopher Nolan should do a Fast and a Furious film because I think that, like, firstly, there is, like, some, some you know, there's some, some very big, like, Justin Lin has obviously been studying Christopher Nolan quite intently because there is a lot of of, of, of little kind of borrows from, from, from the Nolan universe in there. And, uh, um, and yeah, I just, I think, I think that he might, he, 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 I think he might bring a bit of sort of um diversity to this sort of set pieces as well. I mean, it's like, it's, it's like, there's just, there's sort of three big set pieces in the film and it's all just like cars going, things happening around them. And, you know, bleh it's it's it all gets a bit tiring after a while and i kind of feel that he's nolan is good for kind of mixing those things up so yeah that was uh but i i did i did like the 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 grand finale with the with the electromagnets that was that was well played Mm -hmm. christopher nolan thinking what this franchise needs is to run backwards
1: and forwards Mm. through time that's the one thing Fast and Furious hasn't done yet. (laughs) We should put some (laughs) scores on this. Um, I think we've had pretty good extreme opinions on the Fast franchise in general. But Hannah, what scores would you give this? This would be in anticipation, enjoyment in retrospect.
2: So I think uh, anticipation, um, I'm going to say a four because I heard they were going to go to space and I got very excited about that because, you know, I love the idea that they're just getting like, you know, they've got to start thinking outside the box. It's like, Okay, well, we've been down all the roads. Now it's time to take it into space. Next time it'll be like they go under the sea and meet James Cameron. It'll be, you know, a whole thing. So I was quite quite into that. Uh, and then I'd say enjoyment I think I think probably a four as well. I do think it could probably shave half an hour of the runtime from maybe the front half, because it does like there's a lot of like kind of just exposition they have to get through to kind of explain like why X is happening or why Y is happening. And it's, it is a bit much. Um, but I did have, like, I can't deny I had a really fun time. And I think it is like, you know, in a time of kind of, um, you know, we've all been shut inside and we've all been so miserable. It is nice to just go to cinema and feel like you're completely transported to this world where like Vin Diesel could probably just like assemble the crew and stop the pandemic. That's who we should have had in charge, like instead of like Matt Hancock and whoever. Um, and then in retrospect, I think I, I, I'm going to say a three just because my big like bugbear with this franchise is Charlize Theron, who I think is just really awful and they need to like get rid of her and get a new villain because she just is terrible and they always give her really bad haircuts. And it really like, I come out of these films feeling like, oh, that was really good. Apart from Charlize Theron, which is not something I ever want to feel. Um, so, yeah, that, that's my like my only real big complaint with the franchise.
0: David, I think you have some big complaints. What are your scores? <laughs> I mean, just just to not just to be sort of very willfully obtuse and and, uh, and antagonistic. I think Charlize Theron is the best thing in the film. Her little, her little uh, Star Wars monologue was the actual, the only discernible acting in the entire movie for me. But you know, we can uh, we can take this one off, offline. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I think for me it's kind of, uh, I think it's probably maybe a two, a grudging three, and then a two. Uh, like the, the I, I can't deny that the, the sort of climactic big sort of rock and sock and blow up car chase thing with with the magnets was was impressive and you know <laughs> it, it just sort of like kept trundling on and was 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 fun to watch but like beyond that it's just it's really kind of like a lot of sort of it's 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 like a, it's like the cheapest cheesiest soap opera with car chases like it's it's proper kind of you know digital channel that you never watch has has its own soap opera (laughs) level bad but 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 with huge expensive car chases
1: yeah i I think that's that gets to the heart of it for me as well david it's a a cheesy soap opera that should be cheap but is actually 200 million (laughs) dollars and is uh, positioned to save cinema i i I thought this was pretty terrible for me i'm glad (laughs) that other people enjoy this sort of thing but it's a two 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 across the board and and I must shout out John Cena, who I think is great in other roles. Here, sort of um, having to match Vin Diesel's wooden intensity because they're meant to be brothers, Uh, and you just want—you know—John Cena has more (laughs) charisma than he's giving in this film. As a and as a villain, he really could have chewed some scenery, but he doesn't get the chance to. But anyway, listeners, it sounds like a divisive one. Fast and Furious 9. Maybe you love it, maybe you hate it. Let us know at the usual channels. Uh, Up next, we have Supernova, but first, a word from On High. As part of 99 Days of Design, a celebration of the power of design from 99 Designs by Vistaprint, Little White Lies has commissioned six leading illustrators to reimagine iconic films from the 1960s, connecting great design of the past with the artistic trends of today. The films include such classics as Vera Cetilova's Daisies, Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey, Arthur Penn's Bonnie and Clyde, and Jack Tatis' Playtime. Check out the posters now at elderrealized.com and discover more at 99designs.com/slash 99 days of design. It is deep autumn and Sam and Tusker, partners of 20 years, are travelling across England in their old camper van visiting friends, family and places from their past. Since Tusker was diagnosed with young onset dementia two years ago, their lives have had to change. As the trip progresses, however, their individual ideas for their future begin to collide. Secrets are uncovered, private plans unravel and their love for each other is tested like never before. So David you reviewed this um on on the website uh, could you give us a bit of a taste of what to expect with supernova is it a good film
0: Yeah i thought it was really good and um maybe one of those ones that kind of crept up on me it was it's a, been a bit of a weird one you know i think listeners probably going to get be become a bit bored of hearing this but it's one of those ones that we saw like you know nearly 9 months ago now and i think it it was originally set to come out in the first um post lockdown era uh, and uh and and then was uh was was delayed again and has, has, has still not yet come out I, I i suspect that they were thinking of maybe opening it up to to the uh to earlier to try and get some awards love for it but maybe maybe they decided against it or they're going to try and push it next year i don't know but i, I mean they're, they're obviously just trying to get it out there now um it's by a director called Har- a british director called harry mcqueen uh he did a film in 2014 called hinterland which was which was a really nice small intimate drama and uh and you know i think it was one of those films again that you you read a lot of like oh let's watch out for this guy and then he went away for six years and 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 came back with this and i i think when i saw his name on the on the credits i was kind of like trying to remember oh who's i remember i recognize that name because it it'd been such a long time mm. since hinterland but then i sort of worked it out later on and uh yeah it's this kind of um very, very sort of slow burn character study of this of this uh couple played by Colin Firth Stanley Tucci and they're going on this uh this kind of they're in a sort of Winnebago um actually do you, it's it's a camper van in the UK isn't it we don't have we don't have Winnebago's here <laughs> and they're and uh and they're they're off they're off on a, on a trip and uh you suddenly realize that Stanley Tucci's character is kind of suffering from dementia and um that uh, that first character is kind of looking after him and that they are a kind of they're a couple and they they both have these kind of thoughts about where their relationship is going and that this trip is potentially some kind of like um sort of uh, find like you know there's going to be some kind of final final statement to this trip about um that you know the last time that they could maybe exist as the couple that they once were and that um Firth is going to have to shift his life uh uh and and his career to 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 look after Tucci's character and Tucci's character is, is aware of that but wants to maybe He's got ideas about how he wants to live his life as well, even though his kind of uh capacity for 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 uh, um engaging with 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 the world is kind of dwindling somewhat. Um but yeah, it's like it's it I think for the first sort of like first half of the film, I was a little bit sort of I was I was sort of sitting back and waiting to see where it was gonna go from the outset. It looks like a kind of you know, uh, what, 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 what they used to call a disease of the week movie, which is like a kind of, you know, a, a sort of classic week, like weepy. Uh, and it is that in a way, but it definitely has more to it than that. And it kind of shifts into a, into this uh, final heart, like really kind of amazing final half an hour where um, it's just Tucci and, uh, and, and Firth talking at a table and like kind of examining their, 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 their sort of romantic status and their, and, and their future i just think it's one of those films where yeah, everything every, all the kind of uh tools of cinema the the writing the direction the performance the atmosphere the music just sort of comes together in that in this kind of climactic scene of the film and just lifts the, lifts everything up and makes all the kind of slightly slow burn uh, uh, like f- uh, initial story just it, g- it gives it so much more power so yeah i i, I really liked it
1: Mm. So Hannah, we've gone from Vin Diesel and John Cena in muscle cars to uh, Tucci and Firth in a camper van. <laughs> uh, what did you make of Supernova?
2: Yeah, I was quite intrigued by this. And I I try to remember like how long ago it was I saw it now. I think probably again, like quite a while. So I am um, I have to say it's probably not stuck in my mind as much as I would have liked. Um But I definitely was impressed by it. I think that um, Sandy Tucci and Colin Firth are obviously two incredibly talented actors and I think they have a real um, sort of warmth in this story, a real chemistry together. And it's a very... I think where we see films about um, Alzheimer's and dementia, they tend to really kind of... um, be quite harrowing and this is you know it is sad in places and I think uh, particularly the ending as David mentions is very like kind of emotional but I do think it manages to also kind of highlight the the kind of love and the the light in uh, Tusker and Sam's relationship and uh, I really appreciated that. As someone who has kind of uh, experience of dementia in her family, I thought it was quite refreshing to um, get that kind of um, idea of like fam- familial support across. And yeah, it's it's definitely. I think it's a strange time for it to be coming out because it is like such an autumn film. It's so kind of cozy. Mm-hmm. Lots of like good sweaters and. Um, you know kind of very very classic british countryside in the sort of the rain um vibes to it it's very like it, look, it looks very plush it made me kind of want to go on a camping holiday um but yeah I, I i definitely think it's worth kind of seeking out and i do think in terms of kind of we've had quite a year for sort of d- dementia films which feels like a very strange mm-hmm. thing to say but this is about the third one i think because um, we had Relic, the horror film uh, and then we had The Father obviously which was um, uh, kind of I think probably the most high profile just because of Anthony Hopkins' Oscar um, but this is very different from The Father in terms of kind of the performance at the core of it and I think it's it's really useful to get that kind of duality because it isn't, you know, the disease doesn't affect everyone in the same way um, and that goes for sort of patients and Uh, carers so yeah I think it's a a very kind of um, worthy addition to the canon and I am really kind of keen to see what Harry McQueen does next because I think he's a very talented filmmaker.
1: Absolutely I can't wait to see that as well. What most struck me watching this film is Stanley Tucci's performance so he's an actor who has a great deal of love out there Um, and he's somebody who often pops up in Minor but key charismatic roles in major franchises, (laughs) from you know Transformers. Um, he's also pops up in stuff like The Witches and Beauty and the Beast. Um, not always doing terrific work, but always making an impression. And then, but then when he does his indie film, he's again often playing a supporting role. I remember him, he's in the Children Act and, um, oh, the Rosamund Pike film, A Private War. So, it's really great to see him really carry uh, this two hander across, you know, and and have a real arc of a character across a film. So, fans of Stanley Tucci who probably love him from seeing him in The Hunger Games and want to see him actually do some acting (laughs) um, rather than scenery chewing or pantomime um, should really check this out because it's really a wonderful, you know, notch in his career too. But let's put some scores on Supernova.
0: David, I'll come to you first. Yeah, I think just on on Tucci there, you definitely do get like it's not like a departure for him. He's still doing his kind of same old thing, mm. but it's it's almost like a kind of meta version of it that's taken seriously rather than played for for kind of th- throwaway purposes. But yeah, I think I I think it's probably I got to say like the 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 coming into this, I was maybe not not really because I'd forgotten who Harry McQueen was, and maybe my my anticipation was a bit low. Um, maybe uh, I think it's maybe a three to to for, to, for starters but I, I do like Stanley Tucci maybe Colin Firth less of, of a draw f- for me personally as a as a kind of marquee figure uh, and then I think it's probably a, a yeah a four a four in uh in enjoyment because yeah I was you know it, it's it's kind of really um it really builds and builds and builds to this kind of amazing climax and then um maybe 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 uh maybe a four or a three for for, for uh, uh uh in retrospect um i you know i i I would i think maybe a four because i would definitely watch it again it's been it, it's been a while for me as well and i think that it's definitely left an impression and and i think i'd want to sort of go back and revisit that the the, the the film again knowing what happens at the end and seeing how how that kind of plays
2: out so yeah hannah Uh, I think it's maybe a three in anticipation, just because I think these movies can kind of go either way. Um, And I always have a bit of a trepidation about uh, a a British kind of uh, silver pound type drama. Um, Mm. Or grey pound, I should say. I don't don't know what they prefer. Silver sounds nicer, I guess. Um, But then definitely a four in enjoyment. I think it is a very kind of... um, beautifully crafted you know well acted um nice to see kind of two actors who i think do kind of get um a lot of kind of roles of the sort of bumbling kind of you know the bumbling character playing something maybe a little bit more um nuanced here and I think a four in retrospect. Uh, I already have recommended it to my mom, who I think will massively enjoy this film. Uh, or maybe enjoy is not the right word, but I think appreciate definitely. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think it's a real a real boon for Stanley Tucci. I, I want to give a quick shout out as well to um, something that um, one of our pod team, Jake Cunningham, turned me on to, which is Stanley Tucci's cooking show um which starts on cnn this week in the uk and it's delightful it's really really just tucci eating his way around italy and it's 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 really great
1: yep absolutely if you want to you know he's a he's an actor and a filmmaker who loves his cooking so this seems to be almost the ultimate stanley tucci role is (laughs) chef and (laughs) gateway into cooking so (laughs) exactly um Yes, it's a, it's a recommendation from me. I think it's a three, four, four. I wonder if there is a term for the middle-aged audience because this is not... The Grey Pound, to me, is sort of the 60s and up, maybe 70s, sort of um, best exotic Marigold Hotel. So I wonder what's the middle-aged... <laughs> the gray the, the Grey Pound. pound. <laughs> The <laughs> <pound>. <laughs> Yes. So listeners, that was Supernova and Fast and Furious, really the two extremes of what cinema can offer. Let us know what you think if you see them at the usual channels at Lies on Twitter or TruthAndMovies at TCOLondon.com. Up next, Nashville is back in cinemas. The BFI are doing a big Robert Altman retrospective, so have wheeled out one of his biggest and best films for a national tour. So we're going to talk about that now. A magnum opus offering a sceptical commentary on modern America, Nashville follows a host of colourful characters, musicians, agents, fans, journalists, politicians, locals, over a five-day period in the city's musical calendar. Critically acclaimed and highly influential, Nashville stars a huge ensemble cast of well-known faces, playing 24 main characters, including Lily Tomlin, Keith Carradine... Geraldine Chaplin, Karen Black, Shirley Duvall, Henry Gibson and the late Ned Beattie, as well as a very early role for Jeff Goldblum, too. So, David, we can't talk about every Robert Altman film on this podcast, but could you give us a very quick précis about who he is, why we should care, and why Nashville is one to watch?
0: Yeah, he's he's a kind of great American filmmaker of the new Hollywood, um, was making, started out in the sort of uh, early 70s, with uh, one of it, one of his earliest films, *Mash*, was this m- massive hit. Um, he it, it, this it kind of com- you know, he he sort of went there and made a comedy about the Korean War and uh, and a, and, a, and a, a, a kind of um, army hospital. Um, and uh, yeah, that 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 became a kind of beloved uh, counterculture classic. And he kind of went on in that vein. Um, I think one of the things he's like part of the one of the things that sort of he's known for as a filmmaker is having these huge ensemble casts having these storylines that kind of sprawl out uh uh bringing in the like little episodes and uh and and digressions and meetings and in conversations and just sort of like they just sort of sprawl you know and uh and 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 and, and yet somehow they manage to kind of form this co- cohesive whole like there is this amazing sense of like he's the master cinematic plate spinner um where he's sort <laughs> of you know you're watching him spin all the plates but actually at the same time he is like you know with his other hand he's doing all these other crazy things uh, that's making it all feel like you know all they, it all comes together in this big picture Nashville probably his remains his his kind of biggest most sprawling uh epic um it's the it's sort of set in a long. It feels like a couple of days in in Nashville, where we're we're following all these various characters. There's like a BBC reporter, uh, who who is kind of a quite played by Geraldine Chaplin, who's this very comically evil character. Uh, then uh, there is uh, um, various um, country stars uh, of of all shapes and sizes. The main the main one is uh, is is played by the great Ronnie Blakely, who is like a uh a, a, who is a, a singer a singer songwriter who who or was a singer songwriter and uh i think she still is actually who plays this role of the kind of uh, uh su- southern belle uh barbara jean who is kind of beloved but she's had all these kind of awful things happen to her and she's got this manager who is who is stifling her career and uh she's obviously su- suffering from some su- from some sort of mental illness as well and uh you- you're kind of watching as she goes through and like I mean, it's wet. You know, to 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 even sort of touch on the narrative of this film would take probably like four extra entire full <laughs> podcasts. Um, but I mean, it is a kind of you know, it's a kind of fresco of of a scene. But then there's also this. It, it touches on all these other things like um, like American culture, um, uh, race in America, and and I think most of all politics as well. Because I think underlying, you've got this kind of you you've got this um, very weirdly prescient uh, uh, political figure called Hal Philip Walker from the from a, a party called the Replacement Party, and he is this kind of anti politics alternative. And you don't ever see him, but there is this kind of van uh, spouting out his his sort of political campaign throughout the film. So you hear his uh, his ideas, and uh, there is this kind of like. Um, you know setting up of, of, of Nashville as this rebel state as this kind of place that's susceptible to, to to big political change and these new new ideas sort of fomenting into American politics and yeah I mean every, it's just a sort of it's an amazing movie and it is you know to, to use that cliche it's one of those films that is like different every time you watch it like, every, like <laughs> I think I've seen it about four or five times and it's kind of you know it, it kind of like lives on with the political context like it's a i think the last time i saw it was pre-trump so seeing it post-trump it's now a completely different film and it's sort of like it has this kind of wow this this is this is like a kind of nostradamus movie where that that seemed to predict so much although how philip walker is probably a little bit more progressive than than trump it's definitely not a kind of uh, it's it's of an era where in the south there was a kind of contingent of liberal thinking people rather than just like you know that this kind of idea that we have of all, all the south being like maniac gun-loving right-wingers so um there there is that sort of different side to it but yeah it's it's uh, you know one one of altman's best and definitely a mm-hmm. kind of uh one, one to see in the big
1: screen it's an it's an a knockout, isn't it? And how how to describe Robert Altman's style? You know, a, a film like this, you know the, the the term novelistic is used for some filmmakers, but I think the best way to describe these Altman films is like it's a short story collection, all told at once. And it, you know, it's quite telling that later he made shortcuts, which was adapting a lot of Raymond Carver short stories. Um, but It's this controlled chaos that sets him apart from some of the more sort of mannered, stylistic um, new Hollywood filmmakers where there's an opening sequence where it's loads of overlapping dialogue, overlapping characters, um, which is almost like he's live directing TV almost, a a live event. It feels so alive and chaotic, but... You, it, as you go through there are these threads and themes David as you say that become so profound on every on every watch Hannah was this your first pass at Nashville? Yeah
2: it was um, I have to say I'm not overly familiar with Robert Altman I've seen um, The Long Goodbye and I think um, I saw Gosford Park absolutely years ago so I'm really like I've been meaning to get down to the BFI but I've just not, not had the time um, and you know, you know how it is uh, he's one of those kind of you know towering figures of uh, cinema where you just kind of think oh I should really watch some Robert Altman then you never get around to it Um, but my mum was really into MASH (laughs) so maybe I should ask her about it should have got her on the podcast Um, but yeah I was maybe not in I think watching Nashville kind of on your computer for the first time is like you know it did me I'm not normally precious about that kind of thing, but I did think okay, I'm maybe not getting the best experience here because I think you do just there are, you you need to watch this in a place where you have no distractions if you're watching it for the first time because it is very complex, and there's a lot going on and there's so many characters, and I found it just so hard to concentrate and to kind of understand what was happening and understand who everyone was and yeah, I think um listening to David talk so passionately, I'm just there like. I didn't I didn't like get any of this man. Like I, I feel like a real um you know, I feel like lots of people are gonna tweet us and be like, Who's that? idiot you had on the podcast didn't understand Nashville but no that's me it me I love Fast and Furious and I uh, hate Nashville uh, no I, d- I don't hate it I just I, I think it's <laughs> I think it's something that I need to maybe revisit on the big screen which is great because it's uh you know it's doing this big restoration tour so maybe I actually will have to go and make an effort to go and see it in the dark where I don't have kind of my phone and my cat and all these like demands on my attention um because I definitely think it's you know, even as someone who didn't really maybe connect with it in a way I expected to, I think it is, like, it's such a feat of kind of, um, uh, you know, what an accomplishment. And I don't think we really see that level of ambition anymore, just to, like, work on that scale. Or maybe it's just that we're not, you know, filmmakers kind of don't have the uh, freedom from studios or something. I You know, I'm, I'm sure there is, like, more of a kind of explanation as to why we're not getting films like Nashville anymore. But, um you know what a kind of just seeing all those people on screen it was maybe it's just because of the pandemic i'm like wow that's a lot of people you know <laughs> i i um i did even though i think like it's something i would probably need to give another go to um i definitely kind of can appreciate it as a work of art and kind of as a um key text for altman and it definitely did make me want to kind of watch more of his films i think as a director he has mm. such kind of incredible range you know he he never like limited himself to one kind of genre or one you know group of actors he was very good at kind of um doing his thing and challenging himself and um yeah I uh, look forward to discovering more as someone at the beginning of their Altman journey
0: Nashville definitely has a kind of best of vibe it's got all the things about Altman in there in one film so i don't necessarily think like i think that even if you didn't dig it so much i think there are there are probably other films that you probably would dig that mm. don't sort of press on the kind of the sort of that goes sort of so full altman so <laughs> um like 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 um california split i think is a really like it's one of his most sort of low slung super fun gam it's like a gambling movie and it's just re- it's just re- it's just his most sort of outwardly fun movie um mm. So yeah, but I mean he has tons tons of, of great movies I think
1: it's 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 interesting to have Nashville positioned as the routine I mean it, it was one of his bigger successes at the box office, but it is quite uncompromising to view it from a 21st century eye because also we wouldn't necessarily know many of these actors we don't have the similar relationship with country music, um, which was having a bit of a popular moments at the time, maybe we don't have the same frame of reference for Nashville, Mm -hmm. but as you say David, there's a lot in there. I always find it really funny um, with some of his films like there's the old uh, tidbit about how the only person that made any money off MASH, despite it being a big success, was Robert Altman's son, who co-wrote the theme tune, (laughs) and then that was basically his paycheck for life. And with Nashville, his decision was not to bring in a load of old hands from Nashville and the country circuit to write the songs, but actually had many of his stars write the songs, so... (laughs) Keith Carradine, I think, had two hits off the back of this, um, I'm Easy and It Don't Bother Me. So I guess those actors liked working with Altman because <laughs> <laughs> they get to stretch their muscles a little bit. But I, I know what you mean, David. It's um, it may maybe as a, as a route in some of his films from earlier in the decade. So California Split came directly before Nashville and then Long Goodbye as well. Um, they still have that same um, ambition in the sense of... Um, th- they're allowed to end on an ambivalent note, is, is what Nashville does as well. It doesn't get you don't you don't get a simple sewn up point uh, of the story at the end, which is what seems so crazy and experimental almost to a twenty first century eye that film films on this scale can can baffle you and leave you with some quite troubling questions.
0: <laughs> well, I would say that like for me, Nashville has one of the great endings. Like the that that kind of final twenty minutes uh, is just kind of head spinning and 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 it's kind of like constantly on my mind it's, it's one of those those endings that i'm not even sure what i think about it but i think that is part of its power really because it's so kind of in this moral gray zone really about what it's saying what it's doing just one last little thing about the about the altman season um is that um one one late era altman gem that i would definitely recommend is uh, a film called the company uh it's i think it's still yet to play at the bfi uh it's on dvd i think yeah, i'm sure you'll be able to find it somewhere but it's like a kind of film that he made quite low-key uh set in a set in a dance company uh with nev campbell and it is it's it's it's, a, it's an incredible film um it, one of his kind of late bangers so that's that would be my kind of if you if you want to sort of try something a bit off the beaten track. Absolutely, and then well, then the track
1: goes very, very, very far. He made so many films, it's uh, quite almost impossible to see all of them really. But uh, thank you to the BFI for putting together this season so comprehensive of his films and putting out Nashville in cinemas up and down the country. So, listeners, that's your lot. Fast and Furious, Supernova and Nashville. Thank you for listening and let us know what you make of any of those films or anything we've been talking about on the show at the usual channels. Truth and Movies at tcolondon.com or tweet us at LWLies. David Hanna, thank you for joining me this week. Next week, we're talking about Another Round, French Exit, And because Another Round is a bit boozy, we're going to be talking about Leaving Las Vegas, the Nick Cage Oscar smash from the 90s. Subscribe wherever you pod, and if your podcast player of choice lets you leave reviews, we'd love if you left one for us there too. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Uh you
2: The uh-huh